Let's open your Bibles to 2 Peter, is where we are this morning. Find it myself. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for the privilege of being the recipients of your continual love, your abundant grace, your steadfast mercy. It's because you came, Jesus. It's because you died for our sins. You gave your body for the removal and the taking away of our sins. You shed your blood, this blood of the, of the new covenant, and promise, Lord, to give each one of us as we have faith in you and as we believe in you and trust in you, to give us new minds and new hearts, that you write your word upon our hearts, Lord, that you, our almighty God, now dwells in us. We have continual relationship with you. You abide in us. We abide and remain in you. It's through your son that we come to you boldly with our mouths to praise you and to thank you, to ask for your help, to ask for your provision, to ask for understanding to ask for your, your transforming power in our lives day in and day out. We gather this morning to worship you. We gather this morning to learn about you. We gather this morning to be empowered by you, to follow you, Jesus, to bring you glory. Lead us in your truth and everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, by way of reminder, we're really going through the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 12, we see James being executed, uh, James the brother of John, one of the 12, an apostle, he is executed, and in the same chapter, we watch Peter get arrested, why did delivered from his execution, and asking that question of why did the Lord preserve Peter's life? And that can be answered through a variety of ways. He had at least another 20 years of ministry serving the body of Christ in different areas. He finds himself in Rome. We, we sat in last week in, in this first letter of Peter that he is writing to those in modern-day Turkey. It's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of exhortation for the body of Christ that is dwelling in the midst of a culture that is opposed to Jesus Christ. At the end of the letter he said this is true grace here is who Jesus is here is who you are in him through faith in him and here is who you are in him as you submit to him and trust him and pursue him in your daily life now here in second Peter as he is writing this letter it's assumed to be to the same audience and we'll talk about the audience in a minute but we believe, based upon uh, one of the sentences in this letter, that he knows that he is about to die. So just as we can sit with Paul in his second letter to Timothy, this, that was Paul's last letter before he was executed by Nero. 
We can sit in Peter with this same understanding that he knows that his life is drawing to a close, that he is going to die, that others have power over him. Jesus promised Peter in John 21 that at the end of his life, others would have power over him and that he would be executed. So he's sitting in the reality of he's going to breathe his last breath in this life and he's going to step into an eternity and see Jesus face to face. What would you write? This is what Peter chose to write. Where his heart is, where the Holy Spirit is moving upon him. As we sit in the first verse, we want to talk really quick just about author and audience. So Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained, who have received like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we look, Peter, in his, in his first letter, he just identifies himself as an apostle. As we look at his transformed life, the emphasis that, I, that he is putting on this as he is writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think the emphasis that we need to sit in with Peter is he's identifying himself as a bondservant. And this is a word for slave. But again, the Bible takes words of its culture and applies them to our relationship with God. And some of those take on redefinition. We used to be slaves of sin, but now we are slaves of God. What does that mean? Ultimately, it means that we have been purchased we have been bought. We are bought. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He bought us. We have no rights. We have no self-ownership. We are his possession. And Jesus told us, whoever wants to come after him, we must what? Deny ourselves. Lay our rights down. Lay our will down. Lay our desire down. So as Peter is writing to these individuals, he's not just coming to them as an authoritative figure, as a messenger of Christ, as a sent one of Jesus, as an apostle. He's coming to them as a brother, as one who knows the grace of God in his own life. Peter knows the transformation that he has sat in. He knows who has purchased him. He's going to bear witness in regards to what he knows about Jesus and what he knows through the word of God and what he knows about Jesus through life experience. He's writing to these people so that they'll have that witness after he dies. The audience, it said, to those who have received with us this faith that's of same value. Your belief in God is of no more value than my belief in God. You don't get more from God than I get. I don't get more than you get. This is one of those just mind-boggling, soul-melting ideas of God's grace that we are co-heirs with Jesus. Everything is his. And we are told that we are already seated with him in the heavenly places. He has blessed us with all spiritual Blessings, like precious, same value, it's costly, this, in, this incredible faith. And it's in this, the, what we have received, this faith that we have received, it's by the righteousness 
of literally the God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A very clear declaration of Jesus' divinity. See that in Titus 2, John 1, 1 for sure. Verse 2. This is bookends of grace as we travel through this entire letter this morning. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. At the end of this, the exhortation, the, the imperative of the last sentence is grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the idea of growing in grace, grace being multiplied, his peace being multiplied to us, bookends the, and is an umbrella over the entire conversation as he is writing this letter. But as we go through this too, it's this whole idea of knowledge. We grow in grace. Grace is multiplied to us. Peace is multiplied to us as we grow in our knowledge and understanding and experience of who God is. Who is this God who created you? Who is this God who sent his son to die for you? Who is this God that died for you? What is this power that he has? What is this love? What is this patience? What is his mercy? What is his kindness? These are things that we grow in. I've been following the Lord for 20 years now. And I can tell you, I by experience through studying the word, through fellowshipping with others, through my own life experience, his grace is something that is growing in my life. His peace is something that is growing in my life day by day. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. Again, this idea of knowledge is going to come up repetitiously. Because he has a, a very stern warning for us. The knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, our master, the one who owns us. All right, two of my favorite verses in the Bible. As his divine power has given, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness, to devoutness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, so through the knowledge of him, by which have been given to us exceedingly great, very loud, very surprising and precious, costly promises, that through these you may be partakers. This is our word for fellowship, koinonia. You may share, look at this, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We'll pick up the pace here in a minute as we travel through this entire letter this morning. But I do really want you to sit in this and to understand this. Grace and peace, it is something that is multiplied in our lives as we grow in our knowledge of him. Just as the knowledge of him is what has granted access, so through faith in Jesus has granted us access to his divine power, his Holy Spirit dwells in us, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the Holy Spirit is one who enables us and gives to us, grants us everything that we need to have life in Jesus Christ and to be godly and devout in Jesus Christ. 
It's the knowledge of him that was proclaimed to us and revealed to us. That's how he called us, by his glory and by his virtue. It's the knowledge, the information about him that was given to us, that we sit in these incredible, loud, I can't believe that that's what God is, surprising promises, assurances that we have in Jesus Christ. The idea that we get to fellowship and share in, be associated with, and partake in God's divine nature, who he is as God, his character. We're going to be made like him. We will be one, one with him. We will see him as he is because we will be made like him. We will be in the new heaven and the new earth, in his presence, in his light, in his glory for all eternity. Talking about an exceedingly great and precious promise. And that is what we get. This is what we receive. Because he has caused us to escape all of the ruin, the corruption, that is in this world through evil desires. And you can sit in evil desire, which is that, that initial sin of Adam and Eve, desiring something that God told them not to partake in. There was an evil craving in them that they desired that, and they reached out, they took, and they ate. As simple as that, into the whole spectrum of evil lust that is in the world. All right, verse 5. But also, for this very reason giving all diligence, literally applying with haste, applying with eagerness. The imperative here is add. Add to your faith, your trust in Jesus, your belief in Jesus, your reliance upon Jesus, your confession of who Jesus is, you, in your relationship with him, you add and allow him to add, to supply, to provide to your faith virtue. Virtue is an excellent character. Oh, God, give to us your excellent character. Add to your virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly love. And to brotherly love, love, agape. For if these things are yours and abound and increase, they're being added, they're being supplied to your faith, you will, neither, you will be neither barren, which is you, will not, you won't be useless, you won't be lazy, nor unfruitful, unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these, these things are not present in our lives, that individual is short-sighted, nearsighted, even to blindness, literally incapable of seeing, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And that word there, cleansed, you have been received from your old sins. God has received you to himself. Therefore, brethren... Be even more diligent. Again, the imperative here is diligence, being eager, making haste to make your call 
an election sure, that your, your calling from God, your election being chosen is in force, it's reliable, you're sure, you're confident of your relationship with Jesus because you are watching him at work in your life every single day. Your faith is in him and not in yourself. His grace is being supplied to you abundantly and you are growing and multiplying, making your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will never be defeated. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly, richly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a promise. For this reason, I, Peter says, will not be negligent. I won't be unconcerned to remind you always of these things. For though you know and you are established in the present truth... You have the truth, you know the truth, you are established upon the foundation of Jesus and Jesus alone. But yes, verse 13, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up, to wake you up by reminding you, knowing. And here's his, here's his statement of his time of death is at hand, knowing that shortly... I must put off, must remove my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. It's in John 21. Moreover, I will be careful. I will, and this is the same word for diligence, I will hurry. I will be eager to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, after my exodus. Look at what Peter's saying. I want you to have these words. I want you to have my testimony about Jesus when I die. I want the words, the experiences that he has given to me, the grace that he has given to me. I want these things to be written down so even after my exodus, you can turn to these words and be encouraged and be reminded and be stirred in your relationship with the Lord. Verse 16, for we did not... Obey, we didn't pursue, we didn't follow these cunningly devised fables, these myths. When we made known to you the power and coming, the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his grandeur. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from heaven, from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, in whom I delight. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So here Peter is letting us know that the words that he made known to them, his testimony about who Jesus is, this isn't some myth. We didn't make this up. This isn't something that we sat around as a group and, you know, how are we going to draw followers after ourselves? This is not some creative fable that we made known to you. We made known to you the man, our God, in the flesh as he revealed himself to us. 
This, this account that he is relating, this is uh, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You can read in Matthew 17 where Peter, James, and John are called up onto the mountain with Jesus. And the idea is that we get that who Jesus is on the inside is who he became on the outside in all of his glory and all of his majesty. He was transfigured and illuminated. And as they witnessed Jesus in all of his glory and all of his grandeur and all of his majesty as they are just left there with jaws open in the experience that they're having. They hear this distinct voice. That right there, that is my beloved son. I am delighted in him. And as we are in Jesus... This is God's perspective to us. He delights in you because you are in his well-pleasing and accepted son. Verse 19. And so we have, we also have the prophetic word confirmed. It's reliable, it's in force, it's sure. Which you do well to heed, pay attention to. Have a care for it, concern as a light, as a lamp that shines in dark places, in gloomy places. I love this imagery. Until the day, until the daylight dawns, until the daylight shines and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is a title for Jesus. We see it a couple times in Revelation. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not somebody's peculiar unraveling of prophecy. It's not of private interpretation. It's not, it's, it's not for individuals. But prophecy, it never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke literally as they were moved, as they were carried, as they were borne along by the Holy Spirit. Now, before we move on, it's just, I hope you see a theme as we're reading. What is, what is Peter talking about? He's encouraging his brothers and sisters in Christ to grow in grace and peace through the knowledge of God, through experiencing him, that your faith that is in Jesus, that your life would continually be being transformed by him as he sanctifies you and sets you apart, that there's maturity, that there's growth That it's not just this simple confession, I believe in Jesus, but as we believe in Jesus, he changes us, he transforms us, he leads us. And that is according to not a cunningly devised fable and myth, but what has been made known to us is the very power of Jesus. And not just the power of Jesus, what he did uh, through his life, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, and through his ascension. But also the power of Jesus that is coming at his arrival, that is coming in the future. And not only do you have our witness, he is saying... But you also have the declared word of God. God spoke these words through the Holy Spirit as he carried about these men's minds in the Old Testament. These prophecies are written down. So we also have the Old Testament to confirm what we are speaking to you is true. So he's setting something up because Peter's concern as he is staring death in the face, his concern is for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And the concern that he has for them is that liars are going to come. 
Jesus, again, Peter is following after Jesus' example in this. Right before Jesus is arrested and the disciples are asking him questions about his coming, the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth, take heed that you be not deceived. Because many deceivers are going to come. Many false prophets, many false teachers, many false Christs are going to come. And through the words that they speak, they are going to deceive many. They are going to lead unbelievers away from the Lord. And they are going to lead believers away from the Lord. And we're going to sit in that warning is he continues to go on in chapter 2. And listen, as we go through chapter 2, this language is explicit. It is harsh. There is nothing withheld. And again, we are trusting that the Holy Spirit was the one who is moving upon Peter's mind, carrying him along as he is having this pinned down. That what we are reading, he's exposing to us the hearts of God. And he's going to bring up a lot of Old Testament examples in regards to the lies that come. And the devil has been there from the very beginning to deceiving. Chapter 2. But there were also, so during the time of the true prophets, there were also false prophets among the people. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Literally, they are going to introduce into the body of Christ divisive doctrines is what this word means. They believe this, they believe that, we believe this, we're right, they're wrong. These divisive doctrines and the flavor in regards to this grows. Ultimately, they're even denying the Lord who bought them, refusing Jesus who bought them. And they're bringing on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed, will be slandered, By covetousness, greediness, they will exploit you with deceptive, with fabricated words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. This is a passage that I take very seriously in my own heart and relationship with the Lord. Um. The language at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where there are many who call Jesus Lord. Many who operate in their lives according to Jesus' name. They do work in the name of Jesus. That when they stand before Jesus, Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. We have to know in whom we believe. We have to know who he is. We have to know his truth. We have to grow in these things. If I am left up to the invention of my own heart in regards to how to live life and how to instruct you to live life, and it's just all me, woe is me. How many 
ideas do I have about the Lord and about Jesus that are false? What in, what in me about my relationship with the Jesus um, may be off, it may be false? And what ways would I teach somebody else to do exactly what Jesus says not to do or, to do or not to do what Jesus tells us to do? So when it comes to a false teacher, again, I submit my mind to the Lord. I submit my heart to the Lord. I'm continually challenged by his word and by his spirit. I trust that he is leading me. I trust that he is growing. God, keep me from being a false teacher. And not only that, but keep me from being deceived by false teachers. Because I pursue the wisdom and counsel of others often as I try to understand the challenging things in God's word. And the challenging circumstances that we find ourselves in life but the heart that is coming out of these false teachers I'm also sitting in Ezekiel my own devotions and it makes this uh, as the elders of Israel are sitting before Ezekiel God tells Ezekiel to tell them that their hearts are filled with idols here they are coming to the prophet of God they are coming to inquire of the true God and God tells the prophet to tell them, tell them that their hearts are filled with idols. God, may that never be me. When I approach you through Jesus, may Jesus be the only one in my heart. No other idols, no other competition. I have been bought by him. I am owned by him. He is my Lord. Correct me where I'm off, Lord. And the hearts. One of the words that stands out in this to me is this word exploit. They'll exploit you with deceptive words. This word for exploit means to be in business. They're buying and selling, trading, cheating you. They look at you as a, as a market piece. Something to be, they look at you to, um, to get something from you rather than give to you the Lord. Verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, a bunch of Old Testament examples that God does not change. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, Genesis chapter 6, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher, a herald of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Literally, he was being worn out by people who were abandoned to their selfish ways. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. 
boy, do we sit in a culture like that where from day to day we see and we hear things that wear us out. Verse 9, the Lord, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, out of traps, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, literally despise lordship. They are presumptuous. They're bold and audacious. They are self-willed, literally they're self-important. They are not afraid. They don't tremble to speak evil of dignitaries, literally of glories. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So as we're reading through this, consider the heart of the men and the women that he is describing as false teachers. And then giving biblical examples of what happens to those who are false and are reserved for punishment and what happens to the righteous that even as we dwell in the midst of the ungodly the righteousness which comes to us through Christ and through Christ alone God knows how to deliver us he knows how to keep us the description of these individuals continues in verse 12 but these they're like natural brute beasts they're just doing what's instinctual to them without thinking without reason they're just operating according to their flesh they're like natural brute beasts which are made to be caught and destroyed speak evil of the things they do not understand they're ignorant and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness what are the wages of unrighteousness death separation from god as those who count it pleasure to carouse, to indulge in luxury in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. They entice unstable souls. Literally, they're luring. They're baiting weak souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. This is one of these ideas. When I sit in the new covenant, what has been given to us, granted to us through God's grace is he has given to us a new heart that is being trained in his righteousness. My heart is no longer being trained in covetous practices, praise God. And they are accursed children. They have forsaken, abandoned the right way, the straight way, and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But... He was rebuked for his iniquity, for his lawlessness, by a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness, the insanity of the prophet. These, these false teachers, they are wells without water. 
They are clouds carried by the tempest. And coming come to a fountain and you're thirsty and there's no water to satisfy your thirst. A, a cloud that is driven by a tempest, a whirlwind. We need the rain, but we don't need a tornado. This is the imagery. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. How serious it is that we know Jesus. Verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, these pompous words of futility, they allure, they bait through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, literally again that word, through self-abandonment, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, who live in wandering. While they promise them liberty, they promise them freedom, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, is defeated, by him also he is brought into bondage, brought to become a slave. And this is why we need to be overcome and defeated by Jesus, because we want to be brought into his mastery. We are his. For if... After they have escaped the pollutions, the shameful deeds of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, defeated. The latter end, the last, is worse for them than the beginning, than the first. For it would have been better for them if they had not known the way of righteousness than having known it. To turn, to return from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow, a pig, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Heavy words, huh? They're not easy. They're very explicit. They're true. I love how unspecific that the Lord is through Peter in regards to the circumstances that these individual believers were dealing with in their culture because that allows us the freedom to understand the false teaching that occurs in, in our own culture. What are the pressures that you have from the outside that speak to you deceptive words, empty words, words that don't free you, words that shackle you even further to your sin, to yourself, to the world, to another other than Jesus. Peter's exhortation throughout this, again, is that we would grow in grace. That growth is supplied through the knowledge of who Jesus is in truth, which is found upon the pages of these words, whether it's Old Testament prophecy and witness or New Testament prophecy and witness and letters. This is how we know the Lord, and this is alone how we know him. This is how I have grown. These are his words. He has preserved these things for me. As I sit in these words, I am challenged every single day. Lord, add to my faith your incredible character. 
Give to me the self-control that I need. Give to me the specific revelation and knowledge that I need about myself, about this person, about this circumstance. Cause me to know your grace, to grow in it. Lord, there's a storm going on. I need your peace. I need you to take all of those rough ways, and I need you to make them glass. It's as we pursue him that that reality, those precious promises are fulfilled. But in our culture and throughout history, false teachers, false Christ, false prophets creep in and they introduce false ideas that have nothing to do with the heart of God. And ultimately, who is being rewarded is the communicator of those things. They are building a following. They are building a kingdom. They now have power over people. They are getting material finances. We look for all these different warnings because Jesus tells us to watch for what? When you look at me as a teacher, you need to look for the fruit of Jesus Christ in my life. You will know them by their fruits. You will know the true and you will know the false by what is being produced in their life. Out of my heart, I will speak words. I will speak words of pride, arrogance, hate, lust, if that's what's going on inside of here. I will communicate grace and love and truth in Jesus if that's what's going on inside of here. So we listen to the words that people speak. We listen to the words that they communicate. Is that what Jesus would say? Is that the gentleness of Christ? Or is that the, is that the let's call down fire from heaven, Lord? Or is that the heart of Satan? Chapter 3, 10 minutes. You ready? Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up, I wake up your pure minds by way of reminder. And again, I love the contrast in chapter 2. It's always, it's talking about them and they. They may be in our midst in different contexts, but they're truly, they're outside of the body of Christ. And those that know the Lord, he has given to you his pure mind. You may be in confusion, but as you press into Jesus, he'll give you the clarity that you need. Stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. You may be mindful that you remember the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days. And the last days even being in Peter's context 2,000 years ago. Walking according to their own lusts, their own evil desires. Saying with their mouths, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. God just sent this stuff into motion, and we are here to do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it. There is no judgment. Jesus isn't coming back. 
He is not going to rule and reign as a king. He is not going to judge. He is not going to give life. This is all that there is. Have at it. These are their their pompous, scoffing words. Verse 5. For this they willfully forget. Literally, they wish to escape notice. That what? That it's by the very word of God that the heavens were of old. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How? He spoke it into existence. By the word of God, the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of water and in water. By which the world that then existed perished. We all have the testimony of Genesis. God creating the heavens and the earth. It being perfect and good. We have the testimony of sin and death entering in. We have the testimony of the growth of that sin getting to the point where the violence and the imagination of the human heart demanded God to wipe out the entire old humanity except eight people. People intentionally, willfully forget that testimony. Verse 7, but... The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, the same word, the same power of God that created the heavens and the earth, his same word is what is sustaining the heavens and the earth. Listen to this. This world in which we live is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8, but beloved... The imperative, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack. He's not delaying. He has a plan. He has always had a plan and a purpose, and it is being fulfilled. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, as some count slowness. But God is long-suffering. He is patient toward us, not willing, not wishing that any should perish. Look at the heart of God. But that all should come to repentance, that they would progress in their life to repent. Why doesn't God judge the evil man and the evil woman? Why does he let them continue to go on in their sins? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in their life, convicting of them, of their sin. And for many of those individuals, because God was patient with them, God was patient with me, is still patient with me. I'm not going to be burned up with the rest of the ungodly. Because he has granted to me his righteousness. He has granted to me repentance from my sins. I have turned from the old and I have turned to him and he has granted to me a new mind and a new heart and a new life that abides in him, not just in this world, but in the world that's coming. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Words of Jesus. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements, the stuff that we can see, will melt, will loose with a fervent heat, literally with a burning. Both the earth and the works in it will be burned up. 
Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, will be loosed, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Who are you in Jesus? Who are you in your mind? Who are you in your heart? Who are you in your actions? He has granted to us all, everything that we need for life and for godliness. Who are you in that life and in the godliness he has granted to you, freely gives to you? Looking for, waiting for, and hastening, hurrying the coming of the day of God. Because of which, when Jesus comes, there's coming a day that the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, this exceedingly great and precious promise, we look, we wait for new heavens and a new earth which righteousness dwells. We'll read the last two chapters of Revelation, Isaiah 65 and 66 also. Therefore, beloved, looking forward, waiting, For these things, the imperative, be diligent, hurry, be eager to be found in him in peace, by him in peace. Be diligent, be eager in your relationship with Jesus. Be eager for his peace, his tranquility. Be eager for his grace. Be found by him in the peace that he has given to you without spot and blameless, the contrast of the false in chapter two. And next imperative, consider, consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. As Jesus is waiting to return, I am totally content if he waits another thousand years, another 2,000 years. Because his waiting is salvation to those who are yet to come into his kingdom. May the gospel continue to be proclaimed in power. And may many come to repentance, come to salvation. As also our beloved Paul, beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you. As also in all his epistles, his letters, speaking in them of these things. Which are some things that are difficult, they're hard to understand, amen? Do you understand everything you read when you open up the pages of God's word? There's some hard things in here, but untaught and unstable people, they twist, they torture these words to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. Verse 17, you, therefore, beloved, Since you know this beforehand, you've been warned, you've been told before, beware, lest you also fall short of your own steadfastness, of your own safe position. Don't drift from the Lord. Don't fall from the Lord. Pursue him, submit to him, grow in him. Don't be led away with the error, the wandering of the wicked the encouragement, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord 
and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we want to give you great thanks for preserving Peter's life. Had you allowed him to have been executed by Herod, we wouldn't have this incredible letter, Lord. I sit in these words and I look at who you are. I look at your power. I look at what you've given to me and to know you, to understand you, to grow in you. I look at the, the grace that you give to me every single day, Lord, your favor, your blessings, your mind. I look at how patient you have been with me, not just today, but yesterday, the last week, the last month, the last year, before I was born, Lord. You made me to be yours. You made me to image you. You made me to fellowship with you, to be one with you. You made us to be partakers and sharers of your divine nature. Wow. Jesus, you know what each one of us sits in, in our minds, in our lives, our context, Lord. You know those those deceptions that get whispered to us in our own hearts. You know how the devil seeks to come in and, and trip us up, Lord. He's seeking whom he may devour. You know all the different doctrines that this world preaches to us. You know how much division, destruction, hatred, angst, pain, malice, pride, you know, all that's gone on within the body of Christ that has caused division. You see it, you know it. Lord, we look to you to give us liberty, to give us freedom. Free us from all deceptions, whether they're internal or external. Lord, we don't want to be the ones who walk around and, and go lopping people's heads off when we think that they're wrong, they're out of place. We want to have your works, words of, uh, of rebuke when necessary, Lord, but we want those words to be in truth and in love and in compassion because that's who you've been to us, Lord. If, if I need to be rebuked, Lord, through your spirit, change me, transform me. There are doctrines that I hold on to that are false, Lord. Reveal them to me. I let go willingly. And I thank you, Lord, that I can trust you, that you faithfully lead me in my life through your spirit. You speak to me what is true. So here's my heart, Lord. Speak what's true. Speak to us your love for us as we abide in your beautiful son. Speak to us your encouragement to come to you with all of our cares, with all of our concerns, with all of our confusion. Speak to us, Lord, those things that we need to let go of, those things of the flesh, those things of the heart, attitudes, Lord. 
change us, transform us. Add to your beautiful faith that you have granted to us and given to us, Lord. Add to the righteousness that you've given to us. Cause us to grow in your beautiful grace. Cause us to grow in the knowledge of you, Lord. The knowledge of your love that surpasses all understanding. Let us know.